From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up, the President's Commission on the U.S. Supreme Court held a virtual public hearing yesterday. If Congress can simply add new justices when it does not approve of the jurisprudential direction of the court, the institution will become little more than an arm of the uh, legislature. It was former federal judge Mike o. McConnell. It's not just conservative legal scholars, though, that are warning against court packing. So are governors. 20 Republican governors sent a letter to President Biden earlier in the week urging him to reject any court packing recommendations. We'll be joined by one of those governors, Georgia's governor, Brian Kemp. We'll be here in just a moment. And both Russian President Vladimir Putin and Chinese Communist leader Xi Jinping appear to be emboldened by America's present leadership, both issuing challenges to the U.S. By the same token, we will never allow any foreign force to bully, oppress, or subjugate us. Anyone who would attempt to do so will find themselves on a collision course with a great wall of steel forged by over 1.4 billion Chinese people. That was the communist uh, leader, Xi Jinping, yesterday at a national event marking the 100th anniversary of the Chinese Communist Party. Are Russia and China becoming greater military threats to the U.S.? And if so, what is giving rise to this foreign aggression? We'll talk about it with Florida Congressman Mike Waltz later here on Washington Watch. Also, the Supreme Court issuing a ruling today that is a major, and I underscore major, victory for election integrity. Jay Christian Adams joins us with the details. He'll also give us an update on election integrity efforts that are taking place in states all across the nation. Encouraging stuff. You don't want to miss it. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on the free speech platform of Gab, it's at Tony underscore Perkins. And let me say thank you. Thank you to all of those who participated over the last couple of weeks as we were coming up to the end of our fiscal year. And you called and you made a contribution to stand with the Family Research Council and with Washington Watch. As I've said, we receive no government money. We're here on over 800 stations going across the country, almost 800 stations, and other platforms going across the country and around the world because of you. And we're your voice here in our nation's capital because you stand with us. So thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, um, today, well, actually yesterday, the, uh, the president uh, in his uh, presidential commission on the Supreme Court held its second meeting in what is to be a series of six meetings to hear from expert witnesses and to discuss a broad range of reform proposals, including the expansion of the number of justices on the Supreme Court. Now, they're also looking at the establishment of term limits and the reduction of the court's power of judicial review. The 36-member commission was formed by President Biden back in April in charge with producing a report analyzing the, quote, principal arguments in the contemporary public debate for and against Supreme Court reform, end quote. But many believe that the end game for this effort is to add more seats to the court. As proposed, by the way, by House Democrats in a bill that was introduced less than a week after the commission's formation. Now, court packing 
dominated yesterday's hearing, and rightfully so. It was also at the center of a letter sent to President Biden on Tuesday by a group of 20 Republican governors who made very clear to the president that any recommendation to expand the court should be rejected outright. Joining me to talk about this and more is one of those governors, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp. Governor, welcome back to the program. Hey, good to be back with you, Tony. Thank you. Well, uh, Governor, I want to get to uh, also that Supreme Court decision, which I think uh, affects you today in terms of uh, election integrity. But first, uh, as uh, read, reading just the first line of this letter you sent to the president, as governors, we oppose any attempt to increase the number of justices on the Supreme Court of the United States, in short, court packing, or increasing the number of justices to manipulate the court's decisions would be unprecedented, unproductive, and unpredictable. Any response from the president thus far? Not that I've seen. Of course, he hasn't responded too much to really a lot of the political moves that they're making up there at the Biden White House, the Biden administration, whether it's with, you know, court packing, the, the dangerous, really even thought of that to manipulate the legislative process. That would be never ending if they ever did that, depending on which party was in control. I don't think anybody that's reasonable thinks that's a good idea. But they also haven't really responded to the Elections Integrity Act that we passed and, you know, the ridiculous lawsuit that his Justice Department has filed against us when they couldn't get H.R. 1 or S. 1 passed that was an unconstitutional power grab of elections at the federal level. We had your attorney general on uh, earlier in the week discussing that lawsuit that has been filed uh, against you. But I would think that uh, the news coming out of the court today in which the court, and I'm going to get into this in more detail later, folks, uh, with Jay Christian Adams, but the court essentially upholding Arizona's law that had to do with ballot harvesting. And uh, as I appreciate it, this uh, it deals with the same section of law, which I think the DOJ has come after you on. No, exactly. I think it's a very strong ruling. Um, I know Christian can go through the legal weeds of that, probably more so than I have. I haven't been able to read the, the ruling yet, but I got a quick briefing earlier today on it, and I think it's great for not allowing ballot harvesting. Um, it also is going to make sure that, you know, in Arizona, which is the same in Georgia, that people have to vote in the precinct where they live. Uh, you can't just go to any precinct anywhere and demand a ballot. Uh, that creates a lot of problems for the election worker, workers and the integrity of the election. And we addressed that in our, our recent law. And those are all good signs that the justices, I think, approve of the state making up their election laws. And I think both Arizona and Georgia and a lot of other states have gone through a really meticulous process to do that. Uh, with the bill that we had recently in Georgia, and that's nothing new, Tony. We've done that, you know, for years, decades in Georgia. You know, we did that. We had housekeeping election legislations after a lot of big elections. When I was Secretary of State for nine years, uh, we certainly did it again this year after we, you know, had a had some issues in the in the with really the mechanical issues of the vote here in Georgia because of COVID protocols and, and just dealing with the pandemic and anytime you have changes we had change in voting equipment you know you find out things that you need to address and i think the general assembly did a good job of really doing a lot of due diligence to address those talking to local elections workers in the process our citizens 
and obviously as a you know former secretary of state i had some strong thoughts on what we needed to do i've always run on secure accessible fair elections in georgia and making sure it's easy to vote and hard to cheat and that's what our bill does and i think most georgians agree with that well and so do uh, most americans by the way uh they Correct. think that right. elections should be fair and and this is I mean, every and i'm sure you hear it uh, but i hear it as i travel across the country anytime i get to a q and a session with uh, groups that i speak at one of the things they ask is, how will we know that our vote counts? Because you know what? I just don't know if I should vote if my vote's not going to count. And what you did in Georgia and what, uh, you know, 40 ever, 47 other states attempted to do, I think about 14 have actually been able to move bills forward, is critical in reassuring the American people that their vote will count. Well, that's right. But you also, you know, again, the political side of this with the Biden administration and Stacey Abrams and a lot of these activist groups, you know, they called our legislation Jim Crow 2.0 because we were going to use a voter ID requirement on absentee ballots. Yet when Joe Manchin has that in the compromise bill at the federal level, they're okay supporting it. You know, nobody likes hypocrisy in politics. They just want people to be honest with them. Um, our bill, I've been honest with people. I've done you know, probably close to 90 interviews now talking about the details of our bill, answering every question that's out there. And you don't see the other side doing that. They just give a sound bite saying this is suppression, this is Jim Crow, uh, this is bad for minority voters. And that's just not true. Minority participation has increased in Georgia over the years, and Georgians realize that. They support the voter ID requirement. And they support having secure elections. Even a vast majority of the Democrats want that. I mean, it's the American way. Right. And I and I think this uh, this court case, I've, I've not been able to uh, dive deep into the actual opinion, but in skimming through it, it appears that it could help Georgia because rather than the opponents just to be able to throw past, uh, you know, could be past factors on the wall, hoping they stick to prove that you have uh, bad intent. They have to prove that this law would, in fact, affect the outcome of participation, which is a higher standard. Well, we feel good from what we know about it. I mean, we'll certainly have this, see how this shakes out the next several days. But regardless, it's Arizona, and my focus is on Georgia and defending our bill, and I know the attorney general and our team of lawyers is ready to do that and very confident in the steps that the General Assembly took. And, you know, I'm confident, and that's why I signed that bill, and we'll see them in court. Well, um, and, I, and, and I hope you prevail because uh, it will benefit uh, states all across the nation. Uh, one final question for you, Governor, uh, back on the issue of the Supreme Court, because obviously uh, a lot of what the states do ends up in court and the courts have become a real problem. I know this from my past as a state legislator, having the courts overturning and uh, doing all that they do to, to trip up the states. It, it, will the governors uh, be invited to testify before this uh, commission that the president's created? Well, that's a good question. I wouldn't think we would, but we'll see. Uh, I know certainly there would be a lot of good ones that could really speak to this. and. Uh, you know, just convince them that this is a terrible idea. And, I, you know, uh, it's really pretty surprising to me that President Biden, who talks on this, you know, first day in office of uniting the country, continues to do things like this. 
you know, filing lawsuits against election integrity acts and, you know, not securing the border, raising taxes, you know, raising, you know, adding more regulations. Uh, I don't think that's uniting the country at all. In fact, I think it's further dividing it. But, you know, that's what we have to continue to do is talk about the issues and talk as Republicans as to what we're for and what we want to do. And that's that's what I plan on doing over the next couple of years in my reelection campaign. Well, Governor, I appreciate you joining us today. And again, uh, I do appreciate your leadership on this election integrity effort and for uh, staying there and standing strong and not uh, backing down as the left has thrown just about everything they could at you. Well, we're going to keep fighting, Tony. Thanks for having me on. God bless. All right. Have a great Fourth of July weekend. Governor Brian Kemp of uh, Georgia. And uh, it's got to be, uh, as his team digs through this court case, and uh, we're going to talk with Jay Christian Adams a little bit later about it. I think it's uh, it's a tremendous shot in the arm for those who actually want fair and free elections. Now, for those who want fraud uh, and those that want to be able to manipulate the election outcomes, well, yeah, it's a bad case. So see who's squealing. All right, when we come back, uh, President Joe Biden, the greatest threat to America. What is it? Well, according to uh, according to President Biden, it's climate change. Really, when Russia is doing war games 35 miles off of uh, the Hawaiian coast, sinking aircraft carriers, with uh, Chinese Communist Party leader threatening to bash heads. We're going to talk about it next with Congressman. Mike Wallace, that's next. Don't go away. Most Americans believe they have a biblical worldview, but current research shows that only 6% actually have one. This means that most of our friends and neighbors, including those who attend church, don't think about the day's moral and cultural issues through a biblical lens. Increasingly, we see the disastrous effects of a culture that has rebelled against the truth of God's Word. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. This center is an exciting new ministry created to help Christians develop and live by a biblical worldview, to understand why scriptures must be authoritative, and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. The experts at FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview provide research and resources to help prepare believers to give a biblical answer to our culture's most pressing questions. Access the Center's free resources at frc.org worldview. Here's a moment of hope for your home with Jerry and Becky Drace. Do you remember when the Twin Towers came down? What a defining moment in our nation's history. Around the world, you can find towers that are symbols of strength and power. Listen to Proverbs 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. You as a parent represent power and strength to your children. If you don't believe that, then you need to rethink how it was when they were little. They hang on every word. They mimic what they see and hear. You are their tower. However, you need to teach them that the true tower of strength is in God. As a righteous parent, show your family that you depend totally on God's strength and that you run to Him every day. Learn more about the ministry of Jerry and Becky Drace, including evangelism with integrity, devotions, articles, and more at hopeforthehome.org.
Hi, my name's Eric. And I'm Kendra. And we have been married a little over two years now. Honestly, I think the, the most challenging part of our marriage so far, we're right in the middle of it. We're trying to have kids right now. I have a spinal cord injury, so that makes things a little more difficult. And um, I just am, am dealing with some issues with infertility. The difficulty is on my end. But it's our infertility. But it is our, yeah. Because we're right. one now. <laughs> and I, I think what's really helped us through this is keeping Jesus at the center mm -hmm. of it all and knowing that anything that causes you to lean and depend on Jesus more is actually a blessing. Yes. It's heartening to, to know that I have someone who's, she's on my team. Tune into By Design as we explore God's true purpose and design for marriage. Just visit the podcast page at AFR.net. You're listening to Washington Watch. Glad to have you with us. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, earlier today, last night, the uh, Communist Party of China hosted a ceremony in Beijing's Tiananmen Square to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the founding of the Chinese Party, the Communist Party. In his speech, the party leader, Xi Jinping, talked about how socialism saved and developed China and how his party will be strengthening its military to a world-class military, he said. He also issued a grave warning to other countries. Uh, this is what he said. The Chinese people will absolutely not allow any foreign force to bully, oppress, or enslave us, or anyone who attempts to do so will face broken heads and bloodshed in front of the Iron Great Wall of the 1.4 billion Chinese people. Does he mean business? Is China a growing threat? We're gonna talk about it with uh, Congressman Mike Waltz who represents Florida's 6th Congressional District. He currently serves on the House Armed Services Committee. He is also a Colonel in the National Guard, a combat decorated Green Beret and a former Pentagon advisor. Congressman Waltz, welcome back to the program. Hey, good to be with you, Tony. Now, I know this is the land where we uh, got the art of war from Sun Tzu. Uh, is this bluster or should we be listening what the communist Chinese leader is saying? Well, I think it's both. It's bluster uh, for his own domestic audience. Uh, but the capabilities that Chinese are developing from a military sense are very serious. I don't think a lot of Americans fully appreciate that the Chinese Navy is larger than the U.S. Navy now. They're cranking out ships uh, at a rate of one about every six weeks or five to one in terms of comparing it to the United States. Uh, and further, they can concentrate their ships in the Western Pacific. Ours are spread all over the world. But uh, the piece that has me even more concerned than that is what they're doing in space. Uh, they've launched more into space than the rest of the world combined. Uh, the last two years, and they've developed weapons to be able to take our satellite constellations out. Why is that so serious? Well, our entire modern economy uh, is dependent on those constellations up there from telecommunications to real-time logistics, uh, agriculture, finance, uh, you name it, weather. Uh, it's all dependent, but ours is older, uh, less defendable, bigger, uh, and easier to, to, to take down. So those two things alone have me incredibly concerned. Uh, 
Uh, we're not making the investments that we need, uh, frankly, in the, in the Biden administration is taking us backwards uh, after four good years of catch up uh, under the previous administration. Quick uh, other piece to that. Uh, it is our money. It is Americans money that is financing uh, our greatest adversary that I think we've ever faced. Uh, whether that's Wall Street sending money to Beijing, allowing their companies to be listed on our stock exchange, even though they don't uphold to our financial standards, uh, our retirement plans, even our stimulus checks. If you think about where did that $2,000 per person go, it went through Walmart, through Amazon, and through other uh, entities right into Chinese manufacturing. And I think if anything COVID showed us, was that we have to bring those supply chains back home. The Chinese have deliberately, as a matter of state policy, created dependencies, whether that's uh, key minerals, computer chips, or even mass gowns in our pharmaceutical industry so that they can choke those key materials off uh, if we don't agree with them or if they don't get their way. Uh, so I think we need a real wake-up call, uh, Tony, as a country. And what I'm asking all Americans is if you pick something up and you see made in China, put it back down. Uh, it needs to say made in America. That's not just a jobs thing. That's a national security thing uh, going forward. I also believe, if I'm not mistaken, I was looking through this, um, China gets about a billion dollars, I think, from the, the World Bank. Uh, all, supposedly to lift people out of poverty, uh, America puts in about a billion dollars into right. the uh, to the World Bank. Um, how, how is it that they are an economy that, that's a, are about to overtake ours? And according to uh, the communist leader, Xi Jinping, uh, China will soon have the world's greatest fighting force. We're funding it. We are funding it. Uh, it's, it's through the World Bank. Uh, it's through, you know, again, through... The manufacturing that's left the United States and is sitting over there uh, through our trade deficit that President Trump uh, was trying to wrestle and, and take on. Uh, it, you know, even though even this one really blows my mind, the military's retirement plan, uh, its 401k plan called the Thrift Savings Plan, uh, $700 billion in assets, uh, is investing into Beijing. Uh, so here we have our soldiers and sailors sending money into you know back home out of their paycheck into retirement it's going right back over into the shipyards uh aerospace companies uh and uh robotics companies that are listed on the beijing stock exchange it literally uh, is our money that's financing uh, our greatest industry and it's not just that pension plan 22 state pension plans invest heavily into the Beijing exchange. So it is our taxpayer dollars that are flowing over there. And then on top of that, uh, they're stealing our research. They're stealing uh, you know, the most advanced algorithms, advanced materials, nanoelectronics, uh, nanotechnology, uh, that our taxpayer dollars are funding in our universities and research institutions to develop the latest and greatest technologies, the Chinese just steal it right out the back door, uh, either through American professors that are double dipping through cyber or through flooding these institutions with Chinese students who then vacuum this technology up that the Chinese government calls them non-traditional collectors. Uh, so it, it's just across the board. They have flooded the zone with their money uh, through the mechanisms to steal technology. Uh, and uh, we, again, 
we have to wake up as a country. They have declared a cold war on the United States uh, uh, years ago, and we've just been asleep at the switch. Fortunately, President Trump started to shift the, the huge federal institutions, agencies, Wall Street, sports, others uh, in the right direction. And now Biden's just moving us backwards. Um, Congressman Waltz, we're up against a break, but I want you to stay right there because I want to finish this conversation because I have one word to describe what we're doing. It's called insanity. Why would we do this? Uh, I want to yeah. talk about that next and also might try to touch on Russia because uh, Vladimir Putin also issuing some threats to the U.S. What's behind it? Why this uh, foreign aggression all of a sudden? Did they see something? We're going to talk about it next. Folks, stay with us. Congressman Mike Waltz of Florida represents the 6th Congressional District down there. He's with us next. Hope you stay around. Don't go away. Making most of your money. Here's Dan Celia on American Family Radio. Numbers on lumber came out down more than 40% for the month of June. This is the biggest monthly drop on record of almost any commodity, let alone lumber that is for sure this is going to be good for home builders and it will likely spur another bit of a surge as long as demand is high for building again now that there is going to be some stability in the supply chain of lumber still lots of other supply chain issues the house approves a select committee to investigate pro-Trump capital insurrection, as they would call it. You know, they don't have anything better to do than to continue to try to destroy the man that threatens their agenda more than anything else. And they want to make sure that anybody like him does not rise up again trying to put the fear of prosecution and endless wars against a person to discourage anybody like Trump from running again. Also, we got employment numbers coming out of ADP. They were about 100,000 jobs higher than what was expected, over 600,000 jobs, which, by the way, the estimate for Friday's government number is 650 private sector jobs. We'll see if that happens. I think it might be mm, close to that, maybe a little bit more. Want to hear more financial advice from Dan Celia? Look for his podcast at AFR.net. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. My guest, Congressman Mike Waltz of uh, Florida, member of the House Armed Services Committee, a colonel in the National Guard, and a uh, Green Beret. Decorated, uh, served, uh, I think, 25 years. Uh, Mike, you have, you've served 25 years in the Army, haven't you? I'm, I, I just hit 25 years, and I'm, I'm still going. Still jumping out of perfectly right. good airplanes. Yeah, I, I stayed on the ground. Uh, thank you for your service, and uh, thanks for joining us. I, um, I, I want to move on to Russia, but I, I got a few more questions on China. Uh, sure. there, there's some commonalities between Russia and China, and one that I focus on a lot is their religious persecution. China, China 
course, outshines them all when it comes to the persecution of religious minorities, but Russia is working hard to catch up to them. Uh, of course, my, uh, my talking about China uh, has uh, earned me the sanction of uh, China. They sanctioned me, but uh, don't have to worry about going to China anytime soon. The, the other aspect, you didn't mention this, and this is the, looks like an expansion of their nuclear capabilities. Commercial satellites yes. have revealed about 116 new silos for ICBMs. Is that another part of him, of uh, Xi Jinping strengthening their military? No, that's absolutely right. Their uh, nuclear modernization uh, is in full force uh, across the board from, uh, from new long-range bombers to new uh, uh, submarines capable of launching ICBMs and then their actual ground-based ICBMs in Western China. They're looking to double the size of their nuclear uh, enterprise. Uh, it will not uh, come near ours in size, but you don't need you know, uh, that many nukes, uh, right, to, to hold, hold the world at bay and to establish uh, their own form of deterrence. But what is new is that they are modernized uh, while ours is, uh, you know, approaching anywhere from 30 to 70 years old. Uh, and, uh, you know, we are woefully behind in modernizing our capabilities. You know, one, the one of theirs that is, uh, you know, most concerning is called hypersonics. Think of an ICBM that goes on a predictable arc. Uh, you know, with that geometry, we can develop capabilities to intercept it. A hypersonic uh, vehicle is maneuverable on a glide path. Uh, that can, uh, one, uh, is very difficult to detect, and then number two, it falls at speeds that are almost impossible for our missile defenses to take out. So all of those things are, are you know, again, adds to the mix of uh, what Chinese are doing militarily. And what has me, you know, very frustrated with Biden, at least this week, is that today we shut down our only air base, which is in Afghanistan, uh, that it borders Western China. Oh, by the way, it also borders uh, Southern Russia and Eastern Iran, uh, right? So uh, that's our only base in the region. Uh, it has been traditionally used to go after half the world's terrorist organizations, Al Qaeda, ISIS, and others in Afghanistan. So we'll have to deal with that terrorism threat, but it also is strategically located with great power competition for all three of uh, uh, three out of our four greatest adversaries. Well, speaking of Russia, yesterday, uh, Vladimir Putin on a uh, televised Q&A speaking, taking questions from uh, Russians. I'm sure it was uh, not staged, but he, um, he's, he warned the U.S. saying that world dom their world dominance, our world dominance is over and threatened to strike back if any quote-unquote boundaries are crossed. I'm sensing, I'm seeing a, a new aggression from our foreign adversaries is am I alone in that? Are we seeing this? And is it because they perceive weakness in America's leadership? Well, this is this is going to be a repeat of exactly what we saw uh, under Obama, because you know basically the number twos and number threes uh, in the various agencies under the Obama administration are now the number ones and number twos. It's the same people with the same philosophy. Number one, you know, they believe that if we're nice to our adversaries, they'll be nice to us back. Uh, and number two, you know, the goal is to get people uh, 
to the table, to the negotiating table, and they're willing to concede whatever you know they have to to get to that negotiation. And our adversaries smell weakness. Uh, they see opportunity and advantage. Uh, and that's what I think you're seeing happen now uh, around the world. You know, it's a, it's a weakening of deterrence. They knew President Trump would hit him back and hit him back hard. We have the capability, but, you know, do you have the political will? Uh, and uh, you know, they smell weakness in the White House right now. It, with regard to, to Russia, that's more of a Putin problem than it is a Russia problem. And I say that because the fundamentals of Russia are inherently uh, weak and getting weaker. Their population is declining. By 2050, it'll be smaller than Bangladesh. Uh, their, their economy is incredibly poorly run by, you know, basically it's a criminal enterprise. Uh, they're wholly dependent on fossil fuels. But, you know, Putin is a master poker player that plays, you know, a pair of sixes or eights, you know, like a, like a royal flush. Uh, he's completely, uh, with Biden's acquiescence, now created dependencies in Western Europe with the with the Nord Stream pipeline. He sidelined our, our you know great allies in Poland and the Ukraine uh, by doing so. He's modernized as well key elements of his nuclear uh, enterprise. His conventional military is relatively poorly manned and trained, but he can get away with a lot with modern nuclear uh, weapons. So he's playing a weak hand very well. Uh, and yeah. again, when 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 deterrence isn't established, when we don't have peace through strength and they smell weakness in the White House, they can get away with it. That's right. And uh, e even though he has a weak hand, sometimes that leads to some desperate actions um, and That's taking right. risk that others may not. Uh, Congressman Mike Wolf, so great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Always great to have you. All right. Thanks so much. Talk. All right, folks, stick with us. Election reform on the other side of the break. You don't want to miss this. Stick with us. For centuries, the Bible has inspired humanity and shaped the very world we live in. But how do we know this book is the word of God and not merely the words of men? What we believe about the Bible is based on what we believe about its source. The God Who Speaks explores the evidence of the Bible's inspiration and authority through some of the world's most respected biblical scholars. We have essentially a dual authorship. So it's true to say that Paul wrote Romans. It's equally true to say that God wrote Romans. He says, we saw this, and that sets the Bible apart from almost everything else in the ancient world and its religious pantheon of gods and goddesses. The God Who Speaks is a feature-length documentary from the American Family Association. Available now at thegodwhospeaks.org. American Family Studios was started back in 2011 as a way to advance the Christian worldview into an increasingly media-rich culture. Media is like such a powerful tool to communicate the gospel. I love writing stories, getting in my office and just thinking, how can we portray this concept of who God's character is? And to get to use the gifts that God has given me is really a joy. AmericanFamilyStudios.net 
Washington Watch advances a culture where human life is valued and religious liberty thrives. Hello, this is Tony Perkins, host of Washington Watch, right here on the American Family Radio Network, inviting you to join us each weekend for the weekend edition of Washington Watch for the latest from our nation's capital on what is happening as it pertains to faith, family, and freedom. You'll hear from policymakers, congressional leaders, and others each day, 4 p.m. Central Time. Be there. Hi, I'm John Sorensen, president of Evangelism Explosion, and this is Share Life Today on American Family Radio. Bastini, an EE teacher from Lebanon, helps train Christians in how they can share their faith. And one night, he brought a group from a local Lebanese church out to witness, and they met a woman outside of her house and asked if she would talk about spiritual things. Well, she not only agreed, but she also invited all of her neighbors. The group was astonished. They had prayed for one person to share with, but God brought many more. Bastini asked for permission to talk with them about God, and the woman declared, yes, we'd like to speak about religion. So she began the conversation with what she knew and all the ways that she knew to get to God. And after she was done, Bastini asked, well, could we share with you about our faith? And after they walked through the gospel with them all, the woman broke down in tears. She said, we have heard about Christ, but we never knew what he did for us. And every one of them prayed to receive Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn how you can share your faith, visit sharelife.today. This is Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good that, uh, so good to have you with us. I hope you have big plans for the weekend, 4th of July weekend, 245th birthday celebration of the nation. Um, I, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to talk about this on, on Monday. I'm going to have uh, Dr. Carson join me. So you want to tune in on Monday because I'm going to compare kind of this the, the 1619 project from the New York Times and the 1776 Commission. There are really two diametrically opposed views moving forward in America. And, you know, for 245 years, we've celebrated uh, July 4th, really the second when it was signed, July the 4th, 1776, as the, the birth of our nation. Now, all of a sudden, we're told we've been celebrating the wrong day. It's actually in 1619. Anyway, we're going to talk about that on Monday. Uh, to this afternoon, uh, I want to turn now to this issue of election reform. Now, yesterday, the Pennsylvania governor vetoed, and the governor is uh, a Democrat, Tom Wolf. He vetoed a Republican-backed election overhaul bill that would have expanded voter identification requirements. Now, I was just thinking about this yesterday. I was actually in line at a um, uh, gas convenience store. All right, I was getting a non-coke fountain drink okay and uh, so i was in line to pay for it and there was a, a a woman a minority woman in front of me and she wanted to get um cigarettes and so they asked her for an id and she willfully pulled out her id and showed them the id to make the purchase and i was thinking i was literally sitting there thinking about wow you know you got to have an id to buy alcohol, to buy tobacco, uh, you know, all these different things you have to have an ID for. So why the big fit that the left is having over having to have an ID and prove you are who you say you are when you go, when it comes to voting? This, I talked about this a while back, but 
we had uh, some major election fraud in Louisiana back in the late 90s, mid 90s, 1996 to be exact. And there was some corruption. Ended up, the uh, we were able to eliminate the commissioner of election because there was corruption there and uh, put it under the secretary of state as a nonpartisan office, uh, cleaned up the elections. And one of the things we did was a photo ID requirement for voters. And guess what? We've not had major fraud in Louisiana in the last 20 years. Makes sense, doesn't it? So the uh, legislature there in Pennsylvania passing the measure, but the governor vetoing it. Now the legislature, which is uh, majority Republican, but not a super majority, not enough to override the veto of the governor, are saying that they may put this forward to the citizens of Pennsylvania to decide for themselves, which would be good. This is a big deal. I was speaking to a group last night. It's one of the issues that came up. How do we know, how do we know that our that our our votes are going to count? Should we just give up? Absolutely not. We have states across the nation that are working diligently, legislatures that are taking this effort on. And today, the Supreme Court decision is going to be a shot in the arm to that effort. I mean, there are, I believe, at least 14 states in this legislative season that have enacted about 22 different laws that protect the integrity of voting. Now, it started out, there's like 30, I mean, I'm sorry, there's like 48 that introduced him at the beginning of the session, and there was a total of about 360 different laws. Of course, you never end up with what you start with, but 14 states have actually enacted them. Now, you had some situations like Pennsylvania where you got split government, where you've got Republicans in the legislature working to fix this, or a majority of Republicans, and you've got a Democratic governor that obviously wants to protect fraud and deceit, and so they veto the bills. Can't give up, gotta keep got to keep trying. And so today, the Supreme Court, as we were talking about earlier uh, with uh, Governor Kemp, it, uh, in fact, this is kind of interesting. This is a, uh, a USA Today article uh, talking about today's decision. Uh, and I'm just going to read you the first paragraph. It says, a divided Supreme Court on Thursday upheld a controversial Arizona law that limits how voters may return absentee ballots weighing into a raging national debate over voting rights by curbing the landmark 1965 Voting Rights Act for the second time in less than a decade. Now, a divided court. What was the decision? It was six to three. Um, if it were a liberal ruling, that would not be considered a divided court. You know, a divided court is five to four. A six to three decision is uh, quite frankly not that divided in this court and in this world. But it shows where the media and where the left is. Uh, and uh, do we have our guest? Do we have, uh, do we have Jay Christian Adams with us? Okay, all right, we're, we're, we're working to connect with uh, Jay Christian Adams. He's the president and general counsel of uh, the Public Interest Legal Foundation who has been working on a number of uh, these reform efforts. In fact, was a part of some of the challenges coming out of last fall's election. So he's gonna, uh, I'm, I know he's busy 
giving analysis on today's uh, Supreme Court decision, but um, he's gonna help us break it down. Now, this uh, dealt with really kind of two things in Arizona, and they were they were pre-existing. These were not challenges to laws that they just passed. These were laws that go back to uh, 2013. One uh, was a law that was passed in 2016 that uh, prohibits unions and advocacy organizations from collecting voters' mail-in ballots. Now, this is what is called ballot harvesting. Under this, there's a, supposed to be a chain of custody in which when you fill out a ballot, you can designate one person like a family member or a guardian to take that ballot, but you, you just can't go door to door knocking on doors collecting ballots. Well, that's what happened in last November's election. Some of it was done through these, um, well, actually in Pennsylvania, one of the reasons they're addressing it in Philadelphia, through the donations of Mark Zuckerberg that went to this uh, nonprofit that allowed, that gave 2,500 different grants to election um, uh, entities where they were able to hire people. And in Philadelphia in particular, they hired people to go door to door to deliver ballots and pick those ballots up. They were activists that they hired. It was done, quote unquote, legally, according to the, 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 the individuals casting the votes did not cast illegal votes but it was done outside the limits of the Constitution in the way the election should be done. And so uh, that's called ballot harvesting. It's a very controversial thing. California actually legalized it uh, a few years back, and it's what really shifted the elections in 2018 in California, where I think it was six Republican uh, congressional seats were lost. Now. Uh, conservatives kind of learned from that and did a little bit of their own collecting ballots at churches in the last election cycle in 2020. But this practice uh, was outlawed by Arizona, and so it was challenged, and the Supreme Court said they have a right to do this. They have a right to ensure that elections are fair and free, and this is a common sense um, measure. To put into uh, to place, so uh, this is good news. Uh, and as I mentioned, uh, one of the sections of law that was addressed in here is uh, the same section which is being challenged by um, the DOJ and Georgia's election law. Uh, so um, all in all, this is really really good news uh, when it comes to uh, election and election reform efforts that are moving forward in the, uh, the various states across the nation. Uh, as uh, Alito, who wrote the majority opinion, he said the states have a legitimate interest in passing voting laws in an effort to prevent fraud. Uh, as he said, he said, fraud can affect the outcome of a close election and fraudulent votes dilute the right of citizens to cast ballots that carry appropriate weight. Fraud can also undermine public confidence in the fairness of elections and the perceived legitimacy of the announced outcome. Boy, isn't that true? That's what, you know, I would say close to a majority of Americans think about the November election because of the questions surrounding it. And that's why this is so important, what is happening at the state level. Now, the Democrats and S1 and HR1, which they've been, uh, they, they, they pushed last week, didn't get the votes. 
This is the federal takeover. What they want to do is prohibit all of this and lock in place these tactics that they've used to um, ensure that they retain power. All right, I think we have our guests now. Uh, um, oh, we got Brent. Uh, uh, Brent Kylan, uh, FRC Action, uh, joins us. He's been looking at this case. Uh, Brent, welcome to the program. Hey, Tony, good to be with you today. Well, let's, uh, let's first, I'm going to get your reaction to the Supreme Court decision um, on the ballot harvesting out of Arizona. Well, Tony, this is a really significant case. Um, we have we saw this issue uh, pop up uh, going back even to California back in uh, 2018. And um, this was an issue we saw um, that uh, yet played out in some congressional districts. Uh, we had some um, races that thought they were looked like they were going to go one way, ended up going the other way. And then we saw um, kind of further uh, this play out in, in additional states last year. Uh, so many states changed election laws and just kind of loosened things up. Uh, and then obviously we had some concerns with the integrity of the elections um, and just the results in a, in a number of key states. And so uh, the ballot harvesting issue is one of the ones that's been at the forefront. A lot of these states trying to get out in front of this. And so this really has uh, significant uh, national implications. Um, I, I mentioned Pennsylvania because you had the governor vetoed uh, the reform measure that the state legislature that is a majority Republican put forward. What other uh, states, and we're kind of on the tail end of state legislatures meeting, what other uh, initiatives have been successful this year? Did I, did I lose you, Brent? Hey, how's that, Tony? Am I coming through? Yep, I got you now. Yep. All right, there we go. Um, we've actually seen some very encouraging success on this topic across the country. Um, actually, our count shows right now that there have been 389 bills uh, introduced in, in 48 states. So almost in all 50 states, uh, 389 bills have been introduced to strengthen uh, election integrity. Those cover a, a number of different aspects of election integrity, depending on what you uh, state that is and the, the, the needs there. But also, it's not just that these bills are getting introduced, uh, they're, they're getting passed. In, in many cases signed into law. You mentioned, you know, the governor in, in Pennsylvania vetoing that. That's very unfortunate. But in a lot of these uh, key states, that has not happened. And some of the um, some of the most significant ones are states like Georgia. You know, Georgia was so close in the, the, the presidential contest. You know, a lot of us followed that that um, scenario uh play itself out for, you know, the, the weeks following and even months following the election. And then they had the two Senate runoffs again, very close. Uh, Georgia is a key state for them to strengthen their election law. And they did that. Also, Florida. Florida is another state, um, you know, key swing state. Every presidential race, uh, all these statewide races, they got a strong election integrity uh, bill passed there, Tony. And th those are just a couple of states. We have uh, states like Texas, which is becoming more of a more of a swing state. Um, the governor there, Governor Abbott, for this special session, 
he has made sure that election integrity is on the on the agenda for that. So those are just a couple of the key ones, but there are actually even other states that, that I'm not mentioning here, but that have actually signed this, passed this, and got it signed into law, which is very, very encouraging. And a lot of that happens because uh, people are encouraging their state legislators and their state leaders to, to solve these problems. And uh, that's where people need to continue to push. The solution is not going to come from Washington. Mm -hmm. This is a state-based right. problem, and the solution comes from the state as well. Brent Kylan, thanks so much that's for right. uh, joining us. Thanks, Tony. Good to be with you. All right. Brent Kylan, uh, FRC Action, stepping in there when uh, we didn't get Jay Christian Adams. Something came up there. But this is an important issue. So continue to communicate with your state elected officials and push back against your congressmen and your senators if they feel like the federal government needs to solve this problem because the federal government created the problem. The Democratic Party is pushing to federalize elections, which will put it out of your reach and the reach of state legislatures to fix it. We, we've had years of issues come up with elections, just as we've had issues, you know, a lot of issues in our country. But when you have 50 laboratories of democracy, you have a better chance of fixing it. Because when something works in one state, guess what? Another state will pick it up and do it. That's why leadership at the state level is so important. All right, folks, I want to thank you for joining us. Out of time for today. And I encourage you to check out the website, TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources resources there for you and uh, until next time i leave you with the encouraging words of the apostle paul found in ephesians 6 where he says when you've done everything you can do when you've prayed when you've prepared and when you have taken your stand by all means keep standing Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.